we are quickly approaching the anniversary date of when we lost one wonderful Marine by the name of Brian Otto Pastion. He passed away this month in 2013. He had been my friend since childhood, long before he ever joined the Marines. This episode is dedicated to his memory. Welcome back to the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood, and I have with me an incredible guest once again. Today, my guest is named Rich LaMonica. He's a 22-year veteran of the U.S. Army. He was deployed on multiple occasions, and he's seen a lot of stuff that a lot of veterans have a hard time dealing with and coping with afterward. I'm going to have him tell you the story, but you're going to get the inspiration out of it. Welcome to the show, Rich. Amanda, it's great to be here. Uh, it's always humbling when you get reached out to to be on someone's show based on your body of work and everything you're doing. So I, I'm just very appreciative to be here. I think what you're doing is amazing. I'm looking forward to getting into that and having you tell the people what that is all about and what it encompasses and who your target audience is. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about who you are and your background. Where are you originally from? I'm originally from Jersey City, New Jersey. Oh my goodness! Did you leave there when you were um, when you became an adult and joined the military? I left there uh, in 1993, so I was 22 years old when I when I left. Wow! How ironic that it was then 22 years that you spent in the U.S. Army. Exactly, 22 <laughs> years as a as a young uh, city, I guess, punk, and then 22 <laughs> years as a soldier. <laughs> <laughs> So what was the trauma that you had to go through that kind of projected you in this direction now? Well, there's multiple. Uh, during my service, uh, I was witness to many things. Uh, of course, as the world knows, we went to went to full-on combat in 2001. And through 2000, well, still today, we're still at war. But uh, before that, I was here at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And uh, my last field problem for that tour here at Fort Campbell, and I was here 96 to 99. We were in the field. I was with my squad. We just went on a patrol, and a helicopter flew over us, and it kind of bobbled over us, so we thought they were just messing with us. And then it flared up and crashed right about 100 meters from us. So oh. we ran, and we were the first ones to get in there, and it was surreal. It was like almost like a Hollywood scene. The helicopter was split in half. There's bodies everywhere. Uh, one guy was impaled into a tree into his eye. There was 11 people on board. We evacuated five of them alive. Uh, one of them uh, went on to pass. Uh, they didn't understand how we kept him alive because he had a crushed a crushed A order at the time. Uh, that was a 6th of 101st Aviation Regiment along with 8th of 101st Pathfinders that were on board. So we lost seven, uh, seven Eagles that day and uh, four lived. My word, what a mess. That was probably the most... Uh, the first real trauma that I was involved with I, that I can remember in life. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that would definitely um, impact you in, in multiple ways. No. Yes. Mean, it's not like the movies either. It's not, you don't have this sense of separation when you visually see something like this happen right in front of you. you know? Exactly. And the, it's, you can you can still smell it. You can still a lot of my guys. They still talk about the scene. And I mean, they can 
they can identify this scene verbatim exactly as it was like it was they, like they painted a picture that day and the same thing i can do i can do the same thing walking in there everything went into slow motion all the training we thought was useless all that time i have to do repetitive training for first aid and all that stuff it just mm-hmm. kicked in automatic everything became automatic and we were doing things that in our mind was stupid when we were going to training but it just happened and we did our best to, with what we had to save as many as we did you know i I mentioned before we started recording that my family has done some military time. I'm married to a Navy vet. Uh, My grandfather was in the Navy. My father and my brother were both in the Air Force. And I witnessed several times firsthand my dad doing that exact same thing, jumping into what it was that he had done repetitive training on. There was one day we had a rollover car accident right in front of us. And my dad yelled at my mom, pull over, pull over. You got to pull over. And he jumped out of the car and ran across the freeway and pulled people out of this car that had actually caught on fire, which was very much like a scene from a movie because that's incredibly rare. And my dad possibly saved these people's lives. You know, it just what you guys go through is hard enough, but what you're able to do because of it is just astounding. They turn you guys into these superheroes, basically. And I know you disagree with me on that because no man will ever call himself a hero. (laughs) But that's what I I was about to do. I was about to hit the pause button there on you, but you, you did it for me. <laughs> my and, and, since, and since my time in the military, right now I carry two big aid bags, uh, first aid bags in my vehicle at all times. So if I'm with my family, I have it with us. And I, right now they're with me. So it's they're always with me in case I run up on something. Right. Wow. Always prepared. Wow. Yes. So how has uh, witnessing and having to go through this trauma impacted your life? Like I said, that was the first real one. And then the things that really impacted were going to war and um, not just the seeing of the killing and stuff, but seeing how other people were living in their traumas, their life and trying to be uh, be that robotic soldier over there and also have a have a heart towards them and then having to go two blocks later and get into a firefight and and be in a constant battle for 12, uh, 12 months. Uh, my first tour was uh, 14 months. And then uh, my last uh, two were about six to eight months each. But my middle, my third tour is when it all really came to a head for me. It was December 31st, 2010. So New Year's Eve going into 2011. And one of my soldiers was, he went to a, he was in my platoon, but another company needed his uh, expertise. They used them. And he walked into uh, him and his, the lieutenant he was with, either one of them stepped onto a pressure plate mine and he was killed. The lieutenant became a triple amputee that day. And oh. you have all that. And uh, and that's where the uh, my show came from, Misfit, Misfit Nation. We were called the Misfits at that time. So we, I named it in honor of that platoon, in honor of him, in honor of all the uh, women and men I served with at that time. But that's just something you can't grasp if you weren't part of that or if you never have sent someone away and they, that happens because you lose control and you really have no control over any of that anyway. And you have to learn that. That's, that's something I've learned along the way. Uh, flash forward, uh, 2011, we came home, uh, eight months later, we were told we're going, I was going back again, this time to Northern, uh, Northeastern, uh, Afghanistan to Unar. I was in country two days and a mortar hit behind me and went through my left leg and out the front of it. And oh. that is when that is when I woke up. 
right there from that haze from December of 2010 to June of 2019, uh, 2012, I'm sorry. I, I kind of had this punch in my head because I, when I went into that next deployment, I went in telling my soldiers, hey, this is probably it. I'm not coming back because all of my friends who passed, they died on their third or fourth deployment. This is my fourth. I'm playing with fate. There's no way I'm coming home. I was negative Nancy the whole way. And then got me. All of a sudden, the switch in my head twitched and said, get out of your own way. You're better than this. You got to stay and fight. So I went and I, they evacuated me uh, to the same base. If you've seen a uh, zero dark 30 where they take the seals take off from, it's the same base they took off from to get bin Laden. That's where I had my surgery. Uh, and they asked me, do you want to go to Germany and go home? I said, no, I got to get back to my soldiers. And oh. so they sewed me up the next day. They told me we left something in there. So now it's going to stay in there. And I went back and I stayed in the fight until December. I, I came home. I did uh, two more years in the army retired 2015 and, uh, that's when everything kind of shut down on me right there. And I kind of took uh, the 365-day break I told you about. Wow. Man, just that dedication, that's incredible. Too many people would, would have said, nope, I'm out. I'm out. See ya. You went and back I went, for your guys. Yeah. I witnessed them say I'm out and, and leave. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, you know... At the same time, I think there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't blame them, but the kind of dedication that you have and that heart that you have to be there for them and with them is just amazing. Wow. Yes. Thank you. I, I wouldn't say this very often, but you brought tears to my eyes, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. <Wow. laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool. It's, it's amazing. What helped you to heal from your trauma? Like what kind of services and resources and people uh, were most helpful to you? When I got home uh, between 11 and 12, when I, we go through this thing called a reintegration training where they basically uh, do a quick physical on you. You make sure your paperwork's good. Make sure you're okay. And I told the mental health people then that I needed help. I said, look, something's wrong. I need help. And they said, no, you're a star first class. Go back to war. Go back to your soldiers and leave. I said, okay, that's what I did. And then uh, when I retired, I went to the VA, and and it was not a, a very good thing at that time for me and the VA. Uh, we had a, I guess, a battle of wits, and uh, <laughs> I did not, I did not like the way they were treating veterans, and I did not want to get treated that way. Their their idea of treating was just drugs, not uh, getting through things holistically. So I I said I need to go to off post off a uh, off the system care. So I went to a guy called Dr. King Counts. And he did uh, EMDR on me, uh, eye movement, uh, dissociation, some, I forget what the artist, but I talked through every trauma I ever had and no medication whatsoever. We talked through everything and uh, I clicked buttons every time I, I was going through it. Like even with like the helicopter scene, I was able to, every scene that had trauma, I can, I can paint that exact picture of what happened that day. And he was in awe. He, he had tears as I kind of like you did. So don't feel bad about that. And <laughs> That helped me tremendously. And that let me know that in order to help people, there's different ways to help people. One and two, for all our veterans out there, we need to get the stories off our chest. You got to get and anyone that's been through trauma. You got to get the story off your chest. You can't keep it in you or you're going to explode. And that leads to the demons coming in and taking over and losing you when we don't need to. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I mean, you know better than I do, but the veteran suicide rate is extremely high 
because they are having pills thrown at them and told that you're fine now, go back and, and yep. go live your life. That's not healthy. It's not healthy for yes. anybody. Yeah, that's that's rough. It's, who, it's very bad. Go yeah. ahead. Who inspires you the most with everything that you've been through? Who do you look up to? My dad. My dad, 100% my father. Yeah, what's he like? He's a, He's a, he's born in 1940, so he's a he was Italian guy in the city. So he'd be like a greaser, and, and then my mom was kind of like the whatever the other one was called in Greece. So she was the beauty school dropout, and he was the greaser. But he was a hustler. He joined the army. He served at the same time as Elvis in Germany. He came home, met my mom. They lived only a block away from each other, but hated each other when they were growing up. But somehow, <laughs> when, when when he came home. He came home and they met and uh, they fell in love, had my brother and sister, waited uh, six years, had my other brother. Then they finally had the best one, me, in 1970. But my dad, he would hustle. He'd work. He had a job at the electric company. He worked at the city morgue. He owned a bar. He uh, drove for a trucking company, all to make sure that first my brother and sister were taken care of and then all four of us were taken care of. So we didn't have any wants. Or any needs. We, we always had wants. We're kids. We're, we're never the happiest. You know, you're never happy as a kid. You always want something, whatever everyone else has. But we never needed anything. We had everything we needed. And he always pushed that into us that you, as long as you work hard and put in effort, you'll be fine. And, and things will go great in life. And we'd volunteer him for everything. Like we went to a Catholic school. So when uh, they said we need someone to speak at the, do the, the prayers this week, I said, my dad will do it. And then I went home and would tell him, hey, you, you, you're doing this this week. Oh, thanks a lot. And he would go and do the reads. He wow. did Boy Scouts. He was, I played football in college for probably the worst football team in the history of college football. We lost 14 straight games, and he was at every home game. And oh. after we lost every, we lost every home game, he always had something positive to say. I couldn't find positives at all. There's no way I could find a positive. He say, hey, "You did this right. You did this move right, and you guys just need to come together somehow." We never came together, and the football team was actually. This evolved, dissolved after I joined the military. So, but he was—he's always been that soundboard for me. Even when during when I was deployed, I'd call home and talk to him. When I got wounded, I called and talked to him before I talked to mom because I knew mom would go ballistic. So I talked to him first to be the calming voice, and then uh, I told him I'm all right because I'm talking to you, so everything's gonna be all right. Uh, now I'll talk to mom. You can hold her, and we did that. So. It, he was always that common voice, and he was always resilient through everything that our family went through in life, and that's why I look up to him. It kind of seems like he gave you a lot of his best qualities, too, from what I hear. I mean, you wanted to talk to him first so that he could keep your mom calm. You the behavior that your dad modeled for you. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's, he says the same thing. He said, you're just your dad, just dad junior without the name. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That has to be quite the compliment for you. That's cool. It is. And I said, I said, you're not saying anything bad to me right there. <laughs> How long have you been married? 28 years. My goodness, Rich. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, I think I, a lot of it's because, because I was gone so much, it made it new a lot of times. So it, it helped out. You know, and I I can see how that would be a big part of it, but I also know how difficult it was on my mom when my dad was away for prolonged periods of time in the military. 
it can be really hard on both of you in so many ways. And I think a lot of people don't give enough credit. You know, exactly. it's a struggle. A lot of people, it definitely is. And uh, yeah, that came to a heart to me too, about my daughter graduated high school about, uh, I guess, three weeks before I retired from the army. So 2015, I re- retired June, uh, June 30th. She got graduated like May 20 something or something like that. But right after that, she wrote a she wrote an article for uh, the platform magazine called "The Army Brat Life," and in that article, she laid it out. I mean, she she crushed me in that article. I had a dad. I knew I had a dad. He was a picture on the counter. I heard his voice on the phone. I one time I was in Kuwait. I sent her a card where I can put my voice in the card. So she had that. So she had all those things, but she said, I don't remember him being uh, at this, at this, at this. So, I mean, that ripped me up and that, that showed me all the things that I took away from my family during my 22 years. I mean, she was uh, what, 17, 18 at that time. So her 18 years of life since then, me and her really connected after she launched her book. She uh, authored a book called The Unexpected and I went on the book tour with her. It was me and her going to all these uh, bookstores and doing all that. So we became connected and I mean, she lives 15 minutes from me now and every Wednesday we go to lunch now. So we're a lot closer now than we, anyone ever would have thought we would have been. Oh, that's beautiful. It's cool that she's gotten to where she understands that you had to make a sacrifice because you dedicate military. That's a hard thing for kids to understand. Definitely is. Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to make sure that I leave enough room for you to be able to talk about your book and do uh, an intro reading. So tell me briefly about what's the title of your book? Where do people go to find this? It's the 13-step guide to success. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's on Audible, uh, I guess, e-reader. And I, had, I paid a guy to read it with a better voice than mine to read the book. <laughs> so that's on there, too. So you get Audible or you can get the hard copy or the um, uh, Kindle version as well. So any, any platform you want. And the, the thought of this book, oh, this also, the book is also thanks to my daughter. So, uh, during the first year of COVID, every month on Facebook, I would write a uh, a little crazy saying like, or oh, you made it to the end of Jumanji level one, Jumanji level two. We, you faced this this month and now we are facing this this month. She said, you need to put that into a book at the end of the year. So for the next, for 20 to 21, I wrote the book and I sent it to her for editing. And, uh, but December 21, it came out and it was a, it was a great moment to have her be my editor and, and actually publish it. That is super cool. That, connection that you guys have is definitely something super special yes awesome um how do you celebrate your wins in life when something goes really well and you've got something worth celebrating like your book coming out or like your daughter's book coming out how do you celebrate uh before last year i used to make a nice big italian meal like a lasagna or something have some drinks or eat or go out uh now I have to be careful what I eat because I got bit by a tick, so I can't have a lot of different foods. So I can eat chicken and, and drink beer now, so that's about my two go-tos. But <laughs> uh, I toast toast with a beer, but I, I don't reflect on the the big championships that much anymore. I, I look to keep moving forward, and if I'm doing well, why isn't guy or girl to my left doing or right and left doing well? How can I help them get to where I am? And that's what I, I try to do too. While I, I ride the wave of me going up, I want to bring them with me. So that's my that's my, my goal in life now. That is amazing. 
And if people want to reach out to you to see what you're, uh, see what you're doing in your life, have you got social media pages that uh, I'm going to be putting in the podcast description so people can find you? Definitely. Uh, you can go to our website, themisfitnation.com. Uh, it's all one word, misfitnation, themisfitnation.com. And uh, all our socials are on there, but we're on the, I'm on Facebook either as myself, Rich Monica, or The Misfit Nation. Uh, on Instagram, ChemGod101 or The Misfit Nation. Twitter, Rich LaMonica. Uh, of course, YouTube with the underscore Misfit Nation for the podcast. So you reach out to us. And uh, if you want to be on the show, there's a link on the website where you can click on it. And we'll, we'll get right back to you and get you on the show as soon as possible. Fantastic. And there's always one last question that I ask people before I let them go. It's my favorite question of the episode always. What is one thing that you love about yourself that's not related to your physical appearance? I guess my humor. I find myself funny. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my husband says all the time, oh, I'm the funniest guy you'll meet. Just ask me. I'll tell you. (laughs) Exactly. I, I, I send I the best dad. dad jokes are great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, that's got to be a military thing. Every military person I've known has the best dad jokes ever. Um, do you have a favorite one? Oh, off the top of my head? Oh, man. I'd have to <laughs> bring one to you. I'd have one off the top of my head. <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> Oh, Rich, I have very much enjoyed having you on the podcast. Um, I'm going to be sharing your book reading at the very end of this episode. So, hi, folks, don't tune out until you hear this because you're going to want to hear this. Um, Thank you so much for your time with me. I really appreciate you, and I really appreciate what you're doing for other veterans out there. Uh, I've got a lot of people that I think would love to jump onto your podcast, other veterans and stuff. So I'm probably going to be sending some people your way. Awesome. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you and your audience for, for listening to me for the last half hour. 13 step guides to success by Rich LaMonica. This is from the introduction portion of the book. My father, Thomas LaMonica has been the most influential person in my life without question. He always provided us with lessons, even when we did not realize he was. He never left our mother without telling her he loved her, even if they were in an argument over something crazy. No matter what differences would be, no matter what differences would be set aside. And he would say, I love you. We grew up in a railroad apartment in Jersey City. While railroad apartments are not actually made up of rail cars, they are apartments with no hallways between rooms. The rooms connect directly to one another like rail cars of a train. Mom and dad worked their tails off to ensure we had the things we needed to survive. With four kids to take care of, the task was not easy. However, their hard work and perseverance showed us how to make it in the real game of life. Every one of us volunteered our parents to support things at school or through the scouts. Not one time did our parents falter. Looking back now, we knew they were exhausted, but just wanted to provide a better path for us than the one they had. That resonates in me a ton. I should say it resonates now. Back then, it was all about what they could do for me not what they were doing for me. This lesson I learned in 1996 when I became a father and realized everything they did was for a reason. My mother, Arlene LaMonica, never gave an inch. She was in foster while dad worked and was tough to begin with. She grew up in the city as well and learned the streets and hard work early. 
She was the oldest of four kids and had the task of taking care of her siblings while her parents were at work, even more so when her parents divorced. There are some ways she molded me as a who I am. Most kids, when they fall into a rose bush or get hit in the face with a skateboard, receive loving overtones from their mom. We were told to not get blood in the house and get back out to play. One time, my brother was, and still is a prankster, he was at the top of a porch that had a cool concrete railing. He called me over as he rolled a skateboard down it. The skateboard missed my eye by about a half an inch, and blood was pouring down my face onto my shirt. I ran into the house and, without falter, was told to not get the blood on the carpet and take the shirt off before it gets ruined. It did not seem weird to us since this was our normal. She knew she had three sons, and bad things happen when you have boys. She also gave us grave warnings about defending our sister. It was understood that in the house, you could battle each other to the death. Once you left the threshold of the front door, you were there for each other. Our sister was given a bubble of protection by us three until we all left for adulthood. Well, almost all left. Two occasions of her toughness stand out to me. I'm sure my siblings, cousins, and even close circle of friends could add even more. The first is extremely clear to me. We had a water main break in the city, causing mass outages of water for our section. The city set up water distribution points to different areas, so we had to walk with an old grocery cart from the house to, I believe, what was fire station number seven, and wait in line for water distribution with everyone else who was affected. I was maybe seven at the time. As you can imagine, the line was long with families trying to get help. When we got our allotted water for our family of six, we turned and started to walk away. At this moment, for reasons I never can understand, a reporter chose to come over to Arlene. The interaction went something like this. Reporter, ma'am, can I ask you a question? Mom, yeah, what do you want? Reporter, how do you feel about all this? Mom, how the F do you think I feel? I have four effing kids at home. I have to walk all the way here with my youngest to get effing water. I feel effing great. What kind of stupid question is that? Get the F away from me. This was a correspondent with the national news. Well, again, most people would be mortified at this. I just looked amazed at the situation and took it in stride as we walked home with our buggy of water. To put this in context, I first cussed at an early age and did not say anything pretty. We were heading down to the shore and got stuck in traffic when a boat was passing under a drawbridge. I jumped out to see the boat. The problem was the boat was not in sight. So I asked where the F the boat was while we're still stuck on a drawbridge. This episode, this episode with the waters with my mom was broadcast live on the national news at the time. I am glad there was not social media at the time. Thank you. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description. There you're going to find links on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support the podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted, but I can say that I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed their interview, please feel free to let them know. You can also tune into my other podcast, Growth from Darkness, which is co-hosted by a lovely lady from Australia. We talk about what trauma responses are and healthy ways to move beyond the past. For more information, just go to growthfromdarkness.com. <laughs>